Welcome back to The Lead, a podcast about content marketing brought to you by Copyblogger Media. If you want to get a content marketing education during your drive to work, while you work out, or while you walk your dog, this podcast is the way to do it. And if you enjoy what you hear here on The Lead, we'd sure appreciate you telling a friend about us or giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and today I'm joined by Copyblogger's chief copywriter, Damian Farnworth, as we continue our series on the 11 essential ingredients of a blog post. Ingredient number one, which we covered in our last episode, was a magnetic headline. Ingredient number two is the open, where your words must begin your post with a bang. Copywriting legend Eugene Schwartz would famously spend weeks on just the first 50 words of a sales piece. Brian Clark wrote that a great headline mixed with a lame opening is like inviting someone into your house only to slam the door in their face as they approach. Damien, what is your single most important tip for grabbing your reader's attention and pulling them into your post instead of pushing them out? Okay, so the single greatest tip when it comes to openings has to be this idea that your first sentence should be short. And this idea comes from, I think it originated with uh, Joe Sugarman, and because uh, he had this idea, like, so your headline, right, you, you stop your reader in the tracks with this headline, this captivating promise, got people to stop, and then your opening was where you convinced them to continue to read. Um, and so his, Sugarman's view was, like, he treated the, sale, the, the slide from the headline to the first sentence, the second, second sentence, and so on as a slide. So he'd say, you know, your only goal behind the first the headline was to get them to read the first sentence. Your only goal behind the first sentence is to get them to read the second sentence, and so on. And uh, through experiments and through writing and through his copy, he always started with a really short um, first sentence. It could be a one-word, two-word, three-word, four-word Five, six is probably pushing it, but it just that one word. And the goal behind that was to, to shock, was to um, awe them, was to make them laugh, get them, you know, in a state of kind of uh, expectancy and anticipation. So it's that one, it's that idea that your first sentence should be sh- very, very short. Yeah. And one strategy, one way to do that too is you can ask a question, a short question. Right. Um, you know, uh, and as, actually, as we were getting prepared for this, I was reading some posts from Brian Clark and Darren Rouse, a couple of guys who know a lot about writing good blog posts. Uh, and both of their in their post about how to write blog post openings, their number one strategy was asking a question. And we know from studies that have been done that in headlines, questions can double, triple, and quadruple your click-throughs. And it stands to reason that as the first sentence of a blog post, it can also do that of, you know, serve that purpose of grabbing the reader and pulling them in, as you said, so that then they'll go on to read the second and the third and hopefully the fourth sentence. Um, and, and the question serves a number of purposes. You know, like I said, it draws the readers in can show your ability to empathize um, you know and, and it, it kind of gets your reader you know if it's a, a kind of a rhetorical question it gets your reader nodding yes and keeps their eyes moving down the page um, right. you know which again is is fulfills that goal of keeping them reading from sentence to sentence um, so in, in addition to the questions what are what are some other strategies people can use inside that opening right so that yes yeah so this, the question is Obviously, one way to start it, and you know that that creates that curiosity. One gets the reader thinking, and it it's that um, you know thinking equals Brian says you know thinking equals active engagement with your writing, and that's a very good thing. Uh, the, the second thing is to share some sort of an- anecdote or a quote, and um, a lot of times you'll see people start you know with a quote. When we're t- thinking about a quote, they might share a short little punchy 
um, interesting quote from Mark Twain, and then explain you know the the relevance of that particular quote to what they're talking about. Of course, when you use a quote, it has to be relevant to what you're talking about. People have to care about what you're talking. What you know, the quote that you're sharing it has to be meaningful to your readers. It has to speak to some sort of pain or problem they're trying to s- solve. Um, then, of course, you can share an anecdote or you know some kind of story. And the key about this too, and it goes back to everything, is it's like how you tell that story is really important. And you know, starting off with the first sent, you know, first sentence being very short, but also too, when you're telling a story, and this is a trick that novelists will tell you, that screenwriters will tell you, is that you start the action when you're telling a story. You start the action in the middle of the action, and you know, instead of starting from, you know, showing, telling, is telling how you you know, packed your luggage and then boarded the plane and then then climbed 35,000 feet. All of a sudden, both wings just broke off and you're, you know, heading towards the ground. Um, a good writer, a good opening, a good anecdote would start right in the middle where the wings have just broken off and you're screaming your head off. So make sure when you tell that anecdote or that that it starts in the middle like that. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's funny that you mentioned that one because we had that copy blogger essay contest and Anthony Sills, who won it, he actually opened up his with starting with an anecdote right in the middle of you know being already up in the in the air on the plane. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Certainly, yeah. that one works. It's proven. <laughs> Absolutely. So the other, uh, a few more. It's like and what we what we call invoking the mind's eye, and so that's just sort of like producing this mental image in a reader's mind. And the way you do that is just by using words like imagine this dot 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 picture yourself dot 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 do you remember when dot 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 and the what's different with this than say with the story part is that what you're usually doing here with uh invoking the mind's eye is you're sort of projecting the future you're kind of painting a picture of what their life will be like if they take you up on your offer you take if they take you up on the promise that you made in the headline so you say imagine when you get to dot 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 uh, another way is to use an analogy, a metaphor, or a simile. A really powerful uh, simile, really powerful metaphor can kind of grip people, uh, give them sort of elicit that emotional response that you want of them. Uh, you know, last year a really popular metaphor was the fiscal cliff, and that one worked so well because people get it. It was visceral. People know people know what happened when you go over a cliff, right? A good thing is it gets ugly quickly, and so that was a good metaphor for if we don't do something about this financial, you know, uh, financial situation, we're going to be ruined. Um, so use a good analogy or a good metaphor, a good simile, and then of course uh, you can cite a, a, a statistic. And the, you know, again, you have to be careful with this one too because you have to cite an interesting, unique, useful. Um, and shocking statistic. If you choose a statistic that's been worn out, it's been overused. Um, it's going to get ignored. People are going to say, "Oh, you know, that's not. You're not telling me anything new by that." And to give you an example, what I mean by this is that um, another back to our essays, we saw a number of people citing the statistic of how many blogs are out there. It's sort of like you know, 300 million blogs are published a day, and the problem is that that's old news. I mean, that's everybody kind of, it's like a Geico commercial, right? Everybody already knows that. And so it's, you're not going to uh, interest anybody or get, keep people, you know, reading. So you have to find a statistic that stands out, that's new, that you have to find some research that's never been talked about. And this, and it's hard work. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's really hard work. You have to do your homework in order to find this, or, you know, possibly 
You could go the other way around. You find that statistic and you say, I need to use this somewhere. And you might not have a place to use it at this moment, but you need to hold on to it. Right. And that leads us you know, right into our next topic, which is having a swipe file. And, you know, which is being able to keep track of all, all of these different anecdotes and stories and quotes. Uh, and to go back to something you said just about quotes, make sure the quote is accurate. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this being the Internet, there are a lot of bad quotes out there, wrong quotes, even one that we take for granted. Like, you know, for instance, the, the quote that Gandhi supposedly said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Right. right. I was going to use I, w- I wanted to use that in a blog post. And I decided, let me make sure he actually said this. Turns out it's paraphrased of a much longer paragraph. Now, the idea is the same, but it's not actually a quote. And you don't right. want to kill your credibility with your blog post opening. Right. We want to open with a bang, not a thud. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to use quotes, if you're going to use statistics, even if they're ones that you've heard and you, you know, you kind of take for granted, make sure they're correct. Right. Make sure you have your right. sourcing right. And then, you know, when you come across a story, this is a big frustration for me, and, and, and maybe you can speak to this too, Damien, is I'll come across an anecdote or a story, and I'll, I'll think, man, this is perfect. You know, I, I know I can use this somehow, but I don't necessarily have a topic in mind right away. And, you know, if I don't write it down, I will forget about it, and I lose it, right. and, and I always end up lamenting, man, I know there was that great story, I don't remember it. If you keep a swipe file, if you stay disciplined with it, something I'm really trying to do more of now, you know, you may... You know, hear a story today, and you don't have anything—a blog post that it fits for. But in a year, you may, and you may not quite know how to open that blog post. You go back and look at your swipe file, and you're kind of going through. You're going through, and aha! You know, you'll see. Hey, this matches up well. I can use it. You know, don't let those great stories, anecdotes go to waste. Just write them down and save it for when the time is right. Exactly. Pre-internet, you know, a copywriting swipe file was an actual physical folder that you kept, vanilla folder that you kept. Where you clipped out, you know, newspaper, you know, uh, stories, where you clipped out ads that you saw, and you put, you just stuffed everything into that particular folder. Of course, nowadays, you know, when we talk about, you know, a swipe file, we're usually talking about, you know, apps or browsers, you know, because I save, I save a lot of um, stuff that I come across on, you know, a browser app called Readability, or I'll just save it as an actual bookmark, or I'll use uh, uh, Evernote to you know, grab a certain selection of it and save it to that and keep it in a particular notebook. So you're saving all that information in there. And, and you know, thinking about this idea of a, of a swipe file, for instance, you can um, plagiarize sort of your own stuff. If, you have, if you're writing a blog and you've been writing for quite some time, you probably have some pretty successful blog post openings that you can, can kind of go back to and borrow that sort of template from. Uh, for example, um, there was a, I was I saw a documentary a couple of years ago about Jack White and Jimmy Page and The Edge, and it was called It Might Get Loud. And there was a certain scene with Jack White where I like I just knew I was like I've got to use that somehow, but I couldn't figure out uh, how. I didn't have anything at that moment. It was it, it was actually about two years later that I finally found the appropriate place to do it, and it was in a blog post called How to Become a Remarkable Writer. Uh, so, but I kept that there, waiting for it. And but that particular opening, I've also used before. Like that opening worked so well, you know. And down the road, I used it in another way. I was, I was trying to figure out how to open up a another blog post. And so, what I'll do sometimes if I'm stuck on that opening, I'll go back and look at some of my more successful. And there's some that you know are serve as a template. And so I'll just take that, you know, and rewrite it with new words, with new uh, situation, with new language. Uh, but rewrite it so uh, with using that sort of same template, uh, because I know it works and it's gotten good reaction, it's gotten good response in the past. 
Yeah, and which is a great tip. And the only thing to be careful with there is, you know, if you're if you're writing something where it's going to be a single audience, um, you know, you can repeat that, right? You do want to be a little bit careful if you have a daily blog and the same people are coming back and reading you. You do want to reuse things that work, but you also don't want it to um, get get overused, and so that people end up, you know, just not not reacting to it at all. So just be careful to, you know, reuse it, but just kind of not too much, right? And it's a fine line, and you just have to know that based on your readership. Right, exactly. The last thing I'm going to do is become predictable. And you know, any any time that I've used a opening before, there's been you know three to nine months in between each one, or I'm using it, or I'm visiting an entirely different audience. Um, and this is a great idea because um, there's this copywriter that I've been studying lately, lately named Mel Martin, and uh, they call him the greatest copywriter nobody's heard of because he was sort of this um, industry secret that once people got him on, you know, um, on the books, they didn't want to share him with anybody else. But he wrote these great ads and he plagiarized you know, the Dickens out of himself, but he did it for different industries. For example, here are four of his most famous ads. Um, this one says, it opens like this, for golfers who are almost but not quite satisfied with their game and can't figure out what they're doing wrong. Number two, um, for adults who would love to pick up their education where they left off or start again in the right direction, no matter how long ago they graduated or got married or got a job or got drafted or just quit school. There's number three, for people who are almost but not quite satisfied with their own cooking and can't figure out what's missing. And then finally, for everyone who has ever felt mad enough to write a letter to the New York Times. So obviously Mr. Martin has found a formula that works and he just uses it. He 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 repackages it for a different audience. Now if he was attacked, you know, if he was you know, still going after the golfer audience, he would obviously have to change his headline, you know, in order to get more readers, to get more eyeballs, to get more reaction. But if you're attacking that, so don't be afraid uh, to look at past openings and see if how they could work for you. Exactly. The lesson is always do what works. <laughs> you know, That's right. The, once you find something that works, do it. And there's a lot of proven methods uh, that work. So use them, follow them. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of those proven methods as we move forward with this series, the 11 essential ingredients that every blog post needs. Uh, today was opening with a bang. And our next episode will be on use persuasive words. So be sure that you join us for the next episode of The Lead when we talk about that. Damien, thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Jared. I wish I was a slave to an age-old trade Lord, have mercy on my rough and rough